My man. The uh, first rule yep. of Homebrew Club is don't drive in. <laughs> but everyone, everyone's first time, even mine. You I'm drove in? I drove in. One rule. I've already stuffed it up. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're listening to Making Ends Meet, a podcast about what it's really like to start a meadery from scratch. In this episode, I attend my first homebrew club meetup to hear what hardcore homebrewers think about our first batch of mead. We'll also be getting some much-needed wisdom from Aussie mead pioneer Sean Johnson at Erosion Meadery in Perth. Thanks for hanging out. Like, just start driving. Yeah. Who are these blokes? What are they going to be oh, like? They're right. They seem like lovely down-to-earth guys. They got a bit of banter online. Yeah. Are they going to be savage critics and just like destroy yeah. us? No, they're definitely pretty nice. Just go um, left or right. M7 M4? To start this episode, Josh and I are travelling to Penrith to attend the Western Sydney Brewers Club to get some feedback on our first batch of mead. We're meeting at a sparsely furnished, fluorescent-lit Pakistani restaurant. Sitting around the table are eight or so Caucasian men sporting epic beards, led by Marzo, who has a knack for naming the different brews. As all the club members pull out their brews to share around, I quickly realise why the first rule of brew club is not driving. Words like horse blanket, bretomyces and philly sours start getting thrown around and I start to feel like I'm in really, really deep water. Our mead starts getting passed around and I'm starting to feel a little bit nervous. Uh, what are we drinking? This is the mead. Is this your famous mead? This is Josh's famous mead. Oh, okay. It's not my first mead. Yeah. I haven't had a lot of mead, but yeah, that's that's good. That is what I can smell is the oak. Yeah. And it's quite it's quite young oak too. It's definitely yeah. Now you mentioned the orange blossom, I can taste that in it. It reminds me of a champagne. <laughs> not as famous as champagne, but yeah, it's good. Colour's good, good smell. Very dry. Oh no, almost getting like an orange. The honey notes there. It's not as heavy as I thought it'd be. It doesn't doesn't feel thick or um, sticky in the mouth. I think it's really good. It's beautiful. Welcome, Josh, to episode two of the Making Ends Mead podcast. How the heck are you doing, mate? I'm great, mate. How are you? Mate, life is good. So, we went to the Homebrew Club meetup and it was really, really cool. How did you feel about the response to our mead? Look, I felt really positive. The Homebrew Club is a bunch of blokes who really love their beer. A few of the guys dabble in mead, but for the most part, they're all about beer and we got a positive response. People liked the flavour. A few blokes jumped back in for more. No one pinged us on any off flavours or anything funky happening. And that was a really positive experience. So overall, I'd probably rated a, I'm a harsh marker as a teacher, but like an 8 out of 10. This was your first homebrew club meeting, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Well, tell us how it went. I, I thought it was so cool. I'm a big fan and... Um, yeah, the rules of Homebrew Club uh, uh, very much there Rule number for, one. Rule number one, do do not drive to Homebrew Club. And I totally understand that now. I underestimated how much um, we will be drinking. It was such a cool experience. I've never tried so many weird and wonderful beverages. Um, and everyone was super kind and welcoming. And I think I, I would recommend absolutely everyone, if you're making alcohol... Definitely get yourself to your local homebrew club because it was so much fun. Josh, speaking of homebrew clubs, our next guest actually started out in a homebrew club and now he's making mead on a commercial level. So, who are we talking to today, Josh? Yeah, so today's guest is a man by the name of Sean Johnson. And if you don't know who that is, he is the founder of Erosion Meadery in Perth. He does a lot of super cool canned session meads. He does a lot of interesting meads. He does a few sparkling ones, does a few stronger ones. Some are in cans, some are in champagne bottles. We've had the pleasure of trying a bunch of them. And he's actually been able to get himself into one of the really big um, liquor chains in Australia, which is BWS. So you can find erosion mead all around Perth now. And apart from all of that, 
to be honest, he was a really decent dude and was so generous with his time. He was, he was. And look, guys, there are a few naughty words in this podcast. If your mum is around, if your kids are around, maybe save the podcast for later. But um, I really hope you enjoy our chat with Sean Johnson from Erosion Meadery. Sean Johnson, mate, thank you for joining us. This is so exciting. Um, you are definitely a big pioneer in the meat industry and we've both been itching to talk to you. Um, and there's no hot air in that at all. Um, we've definitely been watching your journey from afar. So, dude, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. Uh, you know, we need this in Australia. We need, we need meat everywhere. So, Sean, could you tell us how you got started making meat? I was in IT. What do IT people do? They pick up a hobby. It's photography or it's something else. And I picked up brewing. And it was sort of a, all right, let's, let's make a mead. So I did the same thing everyone else does. I made a Joe's Agent Orange. Oh, the classic. Yeah. I haven't made that yet. With bread yeast, the whole shebang. It wasn't bad. Um, so I ended up making mead at home. Then that turned into, okay, I want to make some wine. Made some wine. That was confusing. And like, there was a lot of, um, I was told I couldn't brew anymore in the house because it smelled like weird farts. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of sulfur coming off of a wine, right? You yeah. know, you yeah. Sort of yeah. And that morphed into, okay, I'm going to go to a homebrew meeting because I've never been to one. And it was probably one of the most eye-opening things I've ever been to. Um, it also happened to be a meeting where they had in one of the uni professors from the uh, microbiology department or something like that uh, talking about yeast strains and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm out of my depth. I, need a, I should have gone to uni. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it also made me come back. Um, for the longest time, I was the guy in the background learning everything that's going on telling everyone about mead and bringing, because obviously in a homebrew club, you bring along your product, you share it among everyone else, and you learn. Um, that's when I said, yeah, okay, I will be on the committee. I will, do the web, I will do the website. That snowballed into me being the president. The whole time I was doing that, I was pushing mead because me, I could see mead being a thing and I could see mead growing in the US, like from the... All the homebrew podcasts and everything I listened to, I could see me coming up. And that's when, you know, Moonlight started doing stuff and a lot of other meteries were popping up over there, Superstition, Bee Nectar. And I'm like, why don't we have these here in Australia? Like, what, what's, the pro what's the problem? Looking at Australia, there was a couple of players trying to make a low-alcohol mead. Um, there's a meadery that's no longer here in Perth called Blackwood Meadery. I'll be honest, it wasn't the greatest. Um, and I basically went down there to find out what, what I was making. Is this similar? What, what, what am, I, am I getting something similar? Um, and then the first time I had something that was similar to something that I made was when I bought an ugly duckling braggot from Red Duck. Hey, guys. Tim and Josh in the studio for a second. Um, just to clear something up, Josh, what the heck is a braggot? Okay, Tim. So a braggot is essentially a beer and mead hybrid. So that looks like mixing together when you create your fermentables to make alcohol with mixing in some grains that are used to make make beer with the honey and it's usually minimum 51 percent honey an ugly duckling braggot from red duck and i made a braggot here and it had that braggot and they are very similar i'm like okay i've done i'm on to something here and then that's pushed me down the path of okay me needs to be pushed what was that like to make the decision go, I'm going to do this, I'm going to invest money, I'm going to, do, I'm going to put some skin in the game and I might potentially upset my wife? Tell me all about that situation. Potentially. Did. Did. Okay. <laughs> so, what was that like? In about 2015, probably 2013, 2013, the idea, I'm like, we need to do this. I need to start a brewery or a meter. I chose meadery first because, one, no one else is doing it. What do we need to do? I registered the business and started running through the process. So part of the process was I'm going to, I need proof. I need proof that this is going to work. How do I do that? Okay. I know most of the brewers in WA. What do I need to do? I need to force the brewers in WA to make meat. Every festival I'd offer up my services to breweries and other things. Um, to, and at the same time, I'd be pushing products. I'd be pushing my meat. I'd be like, hey, try this, try this, try this. I, I built all these relationships doing all this, doing these festivals now. But Brian from Artisan Brewing in Perth, um, I said, do you want to do a collaboration? I'd already helped Brian out a lot and, you know, helped him with social media and stuff. He's like, yeah, why not? So we worked out on a recipe of a beer to meal. 
it turned out to be one of the biggest sellers of the festival that came up. Then what had happened is an apiarist had gone to my accountant and said, we need someone to make mead for us. We need another product line. Everyone in Perth that he spoke to said, go see Sean. I'd already made those relationships. I'd already spoken to those people. I've already proved that mead's a thing and that this can be made in a different way than it already has been. And the meadery started from that point. From that point, I wrote a 56-page business plan. I was up every night of the week until four in the morning writing this business plan, doing marketing plans, like doing choosing, like working out who my competitors were, um, you know, five-year plan with a 10-year sort of excerpt sort of thing. Six months go by. We pretty much got to the point where we could actually get in here and do stuff. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of council applications, a lot of, uh, you know, um, working out what actual licenses and stuff we need. That was part of the business plan as well. So we have all that. So basically I had a list of this is what I need to do. And it was a matter of going to every single one and ticking them off as we go along. So your meat is in cans. Why did you make that decision? We're in WA. WA is a craft beer place. How do I appeal? So we needed to make, at the time, cans weren't a thing, right? So there's a bit of a pivot in the, in the business model there. We were going to do 750 mil share bottles all the time because that's where I saw a lot of, a lot of uh, beer stuff going and a lot of uh, people looking at that. And, I'm, and it, for me, it sort of worked. But at the same time, all these cans started popping up everywhere because there was a mobile canning business that started up in WA. They just popped up and they started doing can. They literally still do early canning for everywhere in WA. I don't know how many people who don't use them, to be honest. Um, that, that really pushed me down the route of, I need to do cans. So Tim and I are basically talking about starting our own meadery and we want to get a sense of the production side. And my biggest question is basically, how big are you? How much mead do you make? So to give you a bit of an indication of how big, our, how big we are, yep. three 20-heck tanks or 2,000-litre tanks yep. is our fermentation tank space. Then we've got one bright tank or one carbonation tank. Um, they're not brewing gear. They are wine tanks. So they're yep. cheaper. Yep. They're more difficult to deal with. Um, it's not a uni tank. A uni tank is the best thing in the world compared to these things. <laughs> Cleaning, everything is just that little bit more difficult. Um, so you, basically by October 2019, we had had all those licenses signed off, so we filled the tanks and made our first products. Um, November 2019, we had our first festival, and that's when we released effectively two products. Um, what were those products? Land of Hops and Honey which was a lightly hopped session mead and wildflower, which was just a straight mead made with wildflower. Everyone liked it, but no one knew what to do with it. The biggest issue here is liquid on lips. People don't know what mead is. People have got a bad perception of mead in Australia. So there's obviously a lot of risk in opening a meadery when no one knows what it is. There's not much of it happening in Australia. There's heaps of unknown, heaps of risk. How did you navigate that and feel about that whole situation? You know, this, this thing that we're doing is happening. And that whole my wife not being happy with me starting a business and the, the unknown of what would happen, being going from a six-figure IT mining salary to a like, business that we don't know when our next paycheck is going to be a proper paycheck is, mm. is very difficult, um, especially when there's a lot of mindset around the world will end sort of thing, like you lose your house, all this sort of thing if everything goes bad. Mm. Um, but I will say my wife is awesome. She's extremely supportive. And at the start, we also didn't have any kids. Ah, uh, comes, no kids. Now we've got three. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mate, so, okay. So it's, it's, it's working for you. Look at that. You've got to get rid of stress somehow, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's true what they say, though, about it's mead a, being an aphrodisiac. Yeah, right? we, had, we had that conversation, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mate, yeah. it's working. Uh, no, Emma's awesome. She's my biggest support. Um, through all this. And then the next biggest support is my mother-in-law, which is generally you don't hear. No, you don't hear that. So what was the conversation no. like? Because at some point you had to put money on the table and you had to um, talk to your wife and go, hey, I've got this idea. There's so much risk involved. Like, 
can you talk to that conversation? Because that's something we're this. both going it's through. Simply, it simply comes down to I need to do this. If I don't do this, I feel like I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. Mm, yeah. And it's more, more in the sense of also I'm not a fan of bosses. Bosses are the worst. No. He wants a boss. I am kind of a boss at the moment, but yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not even a fan of myself when I'm doing it. <laughs> even, even, yeah, the same. I'm not a fan of being being a boss myself. But you know, a lot of the days it's like I have no idea what I'm doing today because I'm, I try. A lot of it is you. Do, you need to do sales. You need to have either a salesperson or someone doing sales. So someone doing sales for you, or you need to be doing it yourself. Um, and then you turn around and I oh, know why is my glycol chiller not working today. <laughs> And so you've got to fix, mate, you, you, you've got to schedule, jump around and whatnot. Um, for me, my biggest, I, I knew my biggest failing is making sure um, our financial position was okay. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Um, having my Josh on board, because <laughs> that's what his name is, Josh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, was very handy. Um, so, you know, we got the equipment. We had a small investment, and we ran with it. So, uh, is is who's your Josh? Sorry, can we just backtrack there? You said oh, sorry. Uh, so, he is my accountant slash CFO. Gotcha. And is he a business partner? Somewhat, yes. Uh, somewhat, so, yes. So, so he has skin in this business, in in yes. some way. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so it is a partnership. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you didn't need to require any um, external investment from any kind of angel investor no. or no. bank. That's amazing. So uh, no. So we, we 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 bootstrapped the fuck out of this, and I'll say it that way because that's what it's like. Yeah. Um, we looked at it and went, "What is the bare minimum we need? What's our you know what's our MVP? Which is you know what they say in yeah. every ministry nowadays. We need this, this, and this for to make a meme. What do you need? You need a tank." You need honey, you need water, you need a license. Everything else can be leased, purchased, bought, whatever. Then you need, so if you've got those tanks, what are you going to do with that mead? What, what do you want your mead to be in the end? What's your end goal and what's where do you start? So the end goal is I want mead in cans, or in this case it was bottles at the start. So we purchased bottling equipment. We purchased a um, pneumatic kappa, which went unused for almost eight months um, because we moved to Cairns. That pivot, <laughs> so that's like, that's almost, uh, what is it, about seven to $8,000 worth of equipment we probably didn't need. Yeah, okay. Do you still have um, that or you've, you've sold that off I now? still use it. Uh, that's what we put our bottles in. They're fantastic. Yeah. Mm. I never got rid of them. I was always going to use them. It was a, more of a time thing <laughs> than anything else and how we're going to use them. So, um, is, so is, we can do if bottling you're if you're comfortable with it, what yep. ballpark figure are we talking about when you push the button on this? Go for 150k. About 150k, that's, and that got you started. So that think got you started winery. With like, you start mm. think winery, but then you've got to think of that's not thinking about your salaries. That's not thinking about yeah. anything else. This is just equipment and getting the first products done. So, so if you could describe your perfect like audience target market, there. Their craft beer fans. What do they look like? Could you? Yeah, give they look like us. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Mostly <laughs> male. Some of them don't <laughs> have beards. But, Some of them don't uh, have beards. Okay. Okay. I'm hiding a beard um, behind the, the know, condenser like, mic here. If you look at the way we market it, we're targeting the craft beer market, but we're also targeting, you know, the women of the craft beer market. Mm. You know, the wives that get that miss out. Those sort of people. Um, but also, I just think everyone in the craft beer market. Women, men, it doesn't matter. If they're liking craft beer, they, this is the product that they'll also like. We've got a couple of bottle shops here that just always purchase from us. Mm. doesn't matter when, what, what we make. However, they're always putting in an order. They're always looking after us and so we'll always look after them. So I guess that means it's moving out the door. They're selling it if they're buying more. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're selling it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, they're selling it in BWS now as well and – yeah. It's it's scary seeing that order come in from BWS and going, hang on, what? Where is it sitting on the shelf? Like when I walk into well, the store, we, we, there's no mead section. Help advise on that, you know? Where do we put it? Where, where, where would you, you think put it? Oh, I reckon we both it? got to have a guess. Yeah, you've got to have a guess. It's, it's, it has to be somewhere like 
I would put it between the craft beer and between the cider somewhere, but it, I think it has to have its own form of category. I, what about you, Josh? Oh, I feel like you just took my answer, oh. but I'm going to have to choose something else now. So, oh, I reckon it's sitting... Like if you think of our core range, right? So, our yeah, core yeah. range is yep. Normie, Sizer, The Pash, yep. Jammed, and uh, Nordic Storm. I'm missing one. Um, peachy, oh just Peachy? Peachy, peachy that's the one. Yeah, so just peachy is our other one. So, you know, the three fruited ones, or four if you call the apple one as fruited one. Um, and then our braggot and our straight mead. That's pretty much That's it. Such a huge range, though. Yep. Well, right, so... it started out as four. Mm. BWS asked for more. That's amazing. So, where <laughs> is it? Josh. I reckon it's sitting in. I think it actually sits in with the cider. You're both kind of right. <laughs> nice, Josh. <laughs> so it also sits in the craft beer fridge as well. Um, okay. So it's spread out no to one the knows shop. Where to put it. No one knows where to put it. So considering I'm the first sort of to market, I mean, there has been other people who've tried. Even Maxwell, who have got mead in a can. Um, that, 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 that came out when we started. But yeah, from a fridge perspective, we sit in craft beer. Brag, uh, Nordic Storm, always craft beer generally. Um, sometimes it's probably in the wrong fridge. I normally ask, go, okay, just put some over here, put some over here, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, test it. Cool. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. A lot of the fruit ones sit either with the ciders or with the gins or even the seltzers now. Mm, the seltzers, mm. yeah. That was my next guess. So yeah. seltzers, effectively, if you look at the brewing process for a seltzer, how different is it to a mead? It's the same thing, it's just different bad. sugar, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I guess what I wanted to ask was like, what was that process like when you step up from making your meat at home? Because like, you, you, like I'm, I'm, I'm still a home brewer, right? And when you, you're home brewing, like I've done beer and I've just started moving into mead and you kind of, you develop a process and you get really comfortable with that process home brewing. Um, what's that process like of stepping up into that commercial level? Um, it wasn't really hard. I mean... Uh, Running the West Coast Brewers, which was the homebrew club that I was a part of, yeah, which was at the time the largest homebrew club in WA, um, and had consistently won a lot of awards in in Australia. Mm. Uh, in fact, a lot of a lot of brewers around Australia have come from our club, like uh, Brendan from Free Ravens. I think Jane from Two Birds was in the club at one point. Uh, um, there's a lot of people across w, WA Australia that have been in the West Coast Brewers, um, and. A lot of that knowledge that you get from the homebrew club helps go commercial. So we did a lot of uh, brew days at brew breweries. So we went into Feral, we went into Nail, we went into The Monk when it existed. We went and we had brew days with these brewers learning how they brew at these scales and mm. how they fix issues and how they do this and that and the other and, you know, how they sanitise, you know, they run us through a, like a whole, this is how we mill, this is how we get it from here to here, this is all these sort of like problem-solving things that yeah. they've done. And then, you know, as a, on top of that, we've gone, because a lot of the people in the club have already done BJCP training, which is, you know, beer judge certification yeah. program, they've all gone and done uh, tanks in beer. Uh, so you're looking at like dicetyl and, you know, um, Oxidization, so you know, metallic. Metallic's a massive one. I remember doing that one the first time. It just smelled like a yeah. blood nose to me. Yeah, um, like I, th I think like dirty coins in a bottom of the glass. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 that it's like learning those things. I think is what helps you become a you know a, a professional very easily. Um, and I'll say this, and I'm not, I know not a lot of people are gonna like this. Mead makers don't come from that background. Mead makers come from a background of, okay, I like the medieval type things. I like dressing up. I like doing that. Yep. Or they've come from a wine hobby background where cleanliness and sanitation aren't things. They're not things that they really deal with. Home brewing, if you don't clean, if you don't sanitise, you will get, you know, that that rubber, that rubber hose, oh, in your, you know, yep. the, you know the, the you know flavours and aromas <laughs> You know, I've judged so many beers with diacetyl. It's not funny. Um, in my, like, there's one year where every single brewer did, had diacetyl in their beer. Yeah, I find some minutes a really hard one to taste. It was all because of dry hopping. Yeah. Um, that year, but you know, the next year, 
nearly any brew, every, every home brewer in WA didn't really have it. It's, mm. and, but that's because we went, this is, this is why these competitions exist in the US, right? This is why meat in the US has got where it is because they've, they've got people who are learning and doing these things already in the brew clubs on a beer side, which is very, very applicable to the meat side, where you don't necessarily get that in the wine world or in the home, in the home making of wine. Um, and I feel like if we're not giving that information out as a meadery or helping mead makers make better mead, it's a disservice to the industry. It's why mead's where it is right now. Mead in Australia hasn't changed in 60 years. In 60 years, since Maxwell started, and both, both Dringer and Maxwell's, which was the same people, it's been one thing. It's been spiced, sweet, 14%. That's it. Um, and every, I know there's people who are not going to like that, but it's exactly the fact. Why hasn't meat changed? Why, is, why did you, when you went and checked out meat on the street with people, um, that's what you should call that segment, by the way, meat on the street. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it just be an ongoing it's, segment. Yeah. It's the same thing everywhere. People don't know what meat is. It's that. It's that, those three thing, things or it's that, that weird thing my uncle made me drink that one time a long time ago. That <laughs> sounds disgusting. so dodgy. <laughs> but it is. It's, it's what it is, right? Back, yeah. the, same, the same thing happened with homebrew. Homebrew was always that weird thing that that weird uncle made that tasted disgusting. And now it's my best mate makes this awesome stuff. I can't get enough of it. Mm. He yeah. needs to be a brewer sort of thing. And because that person has learned from a lot of uh, podcasts and uh, there's a lot of information out there in the brewing world. John Palmer's How to Brew book is fantastic. Yep. But that book has so much knowledge in it and I feel like a lot of mead makers don't push that information across, um, particularly in Australia. In the US they do and it's, it's starting to come across, but mm. a, a lot of people here are like, but I'm the best mead maker. It's like, who cares? Just help people. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. There's, so, there's enough of the pie to go around, right? Yeah, well, even, even so, when I first started, like Steve Kirby, which I know you met the other day, yes, yep. he, he was in the homebrew scene just as I was, and I met him in the homebrew scene. There's a bunch of other people that I, I met as well that were that were the ones that helped support me and push me into that into that that group of people, and that's why it's a thing in, in the homebrew world in Australia now. Is because it never was because no one was supporting it. They like, oh, we had it, but it didn't do anything. It was always disgusting. I went, yeah, but you're wrong. It can be way better, and it was a matter of having those meetings, having those discussions, and you think I'm passionate now? You should have seen me in those discussions. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't take no shit. I was, this is bullshit. Like, you can't not do this. They're doing it in the US. Why can't we do it here? It's just we need to do it. There's no discussion. Who cares if it's 10 more bottles that you have to judge? <laughs> you, you know, just get more judges. Yep. Australia's getting more judges as we go, so it's not a problem. Yeah, so I guess like you kind of hit on something there that I really was thinking about. Like, you know, Tim comes to me and I hadn't really considered, like I've had meats, guys at the Homebrew Club made meats, right? I've had them. Um, they've always been traditional ones and he comes to me with this different idea. Um, and how much of this like different type of meat can we get? Because like we saw, we saw the craft beer industry explode. You know, it started with pale ale, it went to IPAs, it went to stouts, it went to all this stuff, right? My feeling is, is like, this is about to happen with mead. Like you can take it in so many different directions and that's genuinely if walk, exciting. If you walk into I a bottle shop- I just your thoughts. Or are you walking into a bottle shop, any of those liquors on that shelf could be a mead, full stop. Like just mm. anything in there could be a mead. You can take a mead, you can make a whiskey out. Well, you can't really make whiskey out of it, but you could go that route. You could take a mead, you could make, you know, and, and some grapes and make a pie mead. You know, um, that's the other thing, if we go to jump to marketing for a second, why we shouldn't use the stylistic names for me yeah. in Australia. I agree with uh, that 100%. Yeah. If you use them, you're not going to sell your product, full style. No. Um, no, no Mel, Pyment. Yeah, it's very weird, the only strange one that I've language. Got, the only one that I've got that has that language is Sizer. Yeah. Mm, yep. One reason I have that on there is because it looks like Cider. Yep. Yes. Yes. Is there anything legally stopping you from calling it honey cider? Like if you wanted to get someone to read something and go, oh, I know exactly what that's going to be and taste like, 
Is there legalities around that and what you can call something? I know that you cannot call wine other alcoholic product names. So, so winding back to your license, you you're a wine license mainly for your like traditional made stuff. We're a production you- facility, so WA we're a production facility that can make mm. wine spirits. Gotcha. The other stuff goes down to excise and wet sort of things. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But this is a production facility that can make those things. We can we can distill here as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the next thing I was kind of going to ask about is obviously you have some of your own kind of techniques and things like that. And you're obviously welcome to share as much of it as you, you yeah. want to or, or don't wish to. But I did want to ask about kind of that typical recipe design process and that typical brew day. And what does that look like? And, you know, elaborate uh, a bit on the equipment as well. Um, it's usually, you know, I need to clean the tanks. So, they need to be prepped either. So, <laughs> the longest brew day I've had was 14 hours, but the honey was cold. So the majority of that was me doing emails. Um, So a nice easy brew day is three hours. I've already prepped the tanks, they've already been cleaned and sanitized. They're filled with water, they're filled with honey and whatever fruit or hops or whatever, then the yeast is added. So everything I make is all fermented together at the start. There's no addition after. So, is there a reason? Oh, sorry, to sorry, to sorry. Let me, let me rephrase it. The addition after is only honey. Gotcha. Yes. You're back sweetening. Yeah. Yep. Well, not on, not on all of them. Gotcha. So like braggots, no fruited ones. It depends on the fruit. Did you did you experiment with the infusion? You know, post fermentation. I know it's going to help, but then that comes into wet legalities and whatnot. So. Hmm. Um, that also, that, that's also like has changed since I started the business. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be looked at there. And that's, Meat Australia is definitely working on that right now. So mm-hmm. we're part of Meat Australia, which is a bunch of meaderies. Um, I'm probably the only one doing the, these style of meaderies, uh, sorry, this style of mead. Uh, in fact, I'm probably the only one that's really using our yeast at a commercial level like this. Everyone else is using wine yeast. Um, do you feel there's a particular advantage in using, like, Kvike is obviously a beer yeast, but, like, beer yeast as opposed to wine yeast for this type of mead? 100%. I mean, how long do you take, how long do you think it takes me to ferment those meads? With Kvike, you're getting that yeah. fast turnaround? Yeah. A couple of days? Three days for one of them. Three days? Three days. Yeah. From a business perspective, that's fantastic. From a mead perspective, that's fantastic. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, from a traditional mead perspective, like, People are going to go mental and go, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I'm happy with that to be out there because at the end of the day, I was told I couldn't make a good session mead in two weeks, you know, and have it ready and drinkable. That was made in a week. Look at you now. I might have some Take that. You want some more of that normie? I want, the, I want yeah, some yeah, normie. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the other thing. That's why. That's the, sorry, that's the other thing I did miss at the start. I started making mead because I was told by the internet, that you couldn't make good meat with eucalyptus honey. Mm. Wrong again, internet. Bullshit. <laughs> gotcha. Bullshit. I call bullshit. Um, and that, that there has, has been written in, in, in beer books. It's been written by um, Ray Daniels in Designing Great Beers. It's on page, yep. well, I want to say 34. Um, <laughs> at the bottom, there's a table that says, do not use the eucalyptus honey. But... From what I gather, there may have been issues with honey in the US where people have dosed it with possibly eucalyptus oil. Oh, gosh. No. No, no, no. Well, that's probably where it's come from. Or they've just made bad meat. Yeah. Our yeah. honey's um, fantastic. I love it. So Australia has thousands of different types of honey. And if I hear someone else tell me to use orange blossom again, I'm going to tell them to get stuff. <laughs> yeah, orange it's blossom done. is its, it's own done. thing. Everyone's done yeah. it. Yeah. We have far better honeys to use. In fact, we have far better... I would say, like, just our honeys in general are better. Um, that that natural. I mean, obviously, I know that orange blossom is made in Australia, but mm-hmm. it's the natural, like the aromatics, the floral notes you get from the honey, and it doesn't matter what honey it is. Like, Wandu honey is different. To, like, well, this is WA specific, really. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wandu honey, red gum honey, yellow box honey, yate honey, all of it's different. 
And then you go, you go out bush and you get some other honey that's a little bit dusty and all this other stuff. And you go down south, it's a bit more fruit, a bit more like citrusy. Up north, you can get a bit more like wheat, not wheat, but like sort of a, oh, it's all over the place. Mm. <laughs> I, I know what you mean with like that kind of wheaty, different flavour to it. Yeah. And, the, yeah. you know, there's darker the honey, you can get all different types of sugars and like there's, <laughs> I've got a lot of little projects I want to do. Like I can sit here and just make every single mead. And just make normie every single time and just use a different honey. Yeah, sure. That's actually kind of what we're doing at the moment. The one recipe is using different honey. Basically, the main caveat that we do is every type of mead that we make, hash, jammed, everything, it's possible that the honey may be different every single time. So we just need need to have that story come across. I mean, we're probably not really good at it at the moment. I mean, the website I made, I think it took me a day or so to make our website. Um, I just need to get it up and get it sorted yeah, and go yeah. to the next thing. No, I um, love that. That's the whole thing of bootstrapping is you need to get that done, get go to the next thing, go to this, yeah. go to the next one. Yeah. You can't really waste time doing much. Um, mm. or, you know, or going, you've got to go do sales, you've got to go do this, that, and the other. Um, for the, we haven't had a salesperson. We've actually just hired our first employee. That's exciting. Congratulations. That's huge. Yeah, well Which, done. Um, thank you. The, the BWS contract is what's helped. Yeah, yeah. Mm, Having that support, but in saying that, the re- part of the reason we had that support is all those relationships that I built in the brewing industry. It, it even still is a a small market here in WA. I'm in 64 stores, and we're probably the biggest distributed meadery aside from Maxwell's. It's a small industry. It's a small small thing because we need to go out to every single bottle shop, every single restaurant, and, and do tastings. People need to know what meat is because people don't know what it is. It's always that, yeah, that weird thing. Do you have a distributor, or this is all just you? This is you and your, your network. Us. That's all amazing. We've just we also put on also put on Growler Depot. So Growler Depot do their sort of our distribution hub. So we'll deliver. They'll pick up, or they'll 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 pick up, or we'll deliver to them, and then they distribute for us in a is, area. Okay. And that's is that direct to consumer. That's is that direct to consumer. No, that's direct to um, – um, actually, I probably could do a direct consu- consumer. I haven't tried that. But yeah. it's mainly to my, my main, you know, bottle shops. And gotcha. Bars. Okay. And they order uh, through that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, no, they order through us and we okay. move that order across to there. Through it's, it's just Cool. Okay. Picking up on something you said earlier, like, you know, getting people to, to try meat and try it with, like, food and things like that. Um, it's like that same thing with, like, craft beer. Like, what? I know I keep bringing up craft beer, but it just sets I, that exam. It, it sets no that exam. Oh, you're, <laughs> neither do I. That's where I come from. But but it, it sets that exactly same example for me. Like 10 years ago, you know, you, you go to a restaurant and there's like a huge wine list. And it's like, well, you can have one one like lager as the beer available. <laughs> from, the, from the craft beer menu. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's and, it's, and it's not even a craft beer, <laughs> right? And yeah. so you then kind of head into this. Same thing now with like, you see, you, like, I mean, craft beer still struggles in that market. It still struggles, like, but they're doing a lot better. And it's like the same battles are going to happen for me. And it's like convincing people it's worth drinking. And like the amount of people, like I've made a couple of batches, you give it to them and they go straight away. The reaction is always, this would go great with food. Yeah. I mean, any mead would go great with food. Um, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, we're talking about a similar sort of media, right? So, yeah, um, this is where th- there might be issues in Australia. Yeah. Well, what is a traditional in Australia? I-, I think that traditionally in Australia, it's that sickly sweet, spiced, yes. fruit mead that yeah. everyone drinks at winter. Yes, yeah. Or it's sitting in the back of the cupboard that no one drinks and they forget about it. Collecting dust, yeah. So you'd call what you're making craft mead. Yeah, or Aussie, so Aussie, I call it Aussie mead, mead but I've seen Aussie a lot of people mead. pick that up as well. Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I call it Aussie mead from the simple fact is I make it because I want to make it low, or I say low in alcohol, but low in alcohol for mead. Um, it's on the lower end. It's not sessionable. Well, <laughs> it is, but it's not. Um, the um, main thing is that the mead is drinkable in summer and in winter or spring and autumn all of the seasons it doesn't really matter you need to make a mead that's drinkable a sickly sweet diabetic mead is not drinkable for everyone if you want to make if you want to make a lot of mead or if you want to i guess 
you need to look at your marketing plan. You need to look at your, your business model right then and there. That's you need to go. What are we making? How are we making it? Why are we making it? And if you don't know those, what do they call? Do a SWOT analysis on it. Yes, SWOT. Works cool. It's all, but it, it works. And that's what it works. We've got a SWOT analysis. We've got all these things mm. on wh- mm. why, where to go, and you know, effectively, our competition here in WA is really cider makers and craft brewers. I wouldn't consider any other meaderies competition. I wouldn't consider like half the reason we we promote the whole mead and the BJCP guidelines is because I'm not a fan of wine competitions. Like <laughs> I'm a millennial. I've been done those competitions where everyone enters and everyone wins. I don't want to do that. I want to enter a competition and just win. It's a bit, I wouldn't say arrogant, but the whole point of a competition is it's a competition. It's not a everyone gets a medal. If you, I'm not sure if you're aware, I'm running the international mead competition in Australia. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's so <laughs> yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, 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 we'll be there. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be there. I'm going to have yeah, a lot of people help me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've been down that path before, I need more people to help me. Um, yeah, the, there's a lot of um, mead can be better and people need to look at it better and not just go, oh, I'm the best. It just doesn't work like that. I don't know if, what other, other people can think other things, but that's my opinion. I've got a question for you. So. Yeah. This is this is to help us through your your experience because you've you've probably made a bunch of mistakes. But if you can go back into time Oops. and you can talk to your past self before you embark on this endeavor, what would you say to Sean Johnson before the meadery? Two things, and you hear it all in brewing. Get more investment. <laughs> more investment. Okay. Okay. But that that's that's a part. What is it? Uh, what do they say in brewing? You know, use a million dollars to make a hundred thousand. Oh, or something oh like boy. that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like it's it, it, it mainly is a passion project, right? Like you, you're not going to make a lot of money fast. These are, uh, you have to do a lot of work. You have to go to a lot of bottle shops. You, you can't just expect people to buy it. It's not going to work. Um, so it's a matter of making sure your product's right, making sure you target the right market. And buy the biggest amount of uh, biggest equipment you can get that you can afford. That's what that was one of the things that I heard a lot of on the brewing network when I listened to those guys. A lot of breweries started up with buying the biggest equipment they could afford at the time. I bought three tanks, and I know what my capacity would be at full. We have not reached it yet. Gotcha. Okay. But we're getting close. So the whole point of it is is constant turnaround, right? So how do you do that? It's more sales. So, And that extra money, that extra investment that you're talking about, so you said if you're 150, in. you'd be throwing that extra whatever it is into your sales marketing um, from, the, from the get-go. Where's that extra money going? Where do you wish it was in your business? I mean, it's, it's right now, it would be sales. Yeah. Sales, 100%. So- is is this idea working? Do you do you, do you have any regrets, or this is it's no, working? I have no regrets. At the no end regrets. of the day, I've 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 effectively messed up the market. Um, you know, I've I've come in, I've changed the perception of what meat is in Australia, specifically WA. So again, a craft product has started in WA and it's moving its way across. Um, so just like craft beer did all those years ago, I like to, I like to think that's what it is. Um, you know and we're you know we're pushing it across and the i if everything fails doesn't matter i did what i wanted i did what i came out and wanted to do i brewed what i wanted to do how i wanted to do it and it went out in the market and people enjoyed it Hmm. there's really nothing to worry you know obviously other things can happen but worst case scenario well we go bankrupt okay get another job site again it's 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 in my it's, there's a lot of mindset around that as well. Like my wife is very much not that type of person. Um, I'm very much I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway, and we're going to go, and we're going to keep going yeah. and keep pushing. I've 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 actually oh, I'll admit I've sat here and I have cried. Wow, why? With all why the pressure that's going on. Wow. But then we I sit back down and go, okay, hang on, what are we doing? And then I just push through again, and just you know, there's a, there's a saying that you know the next business we start is going to call. Red tape and brick walls or something. <laughs> um, the amount of stuff that we've had to push through to change someone's perception 
So do you think this is the the right time, the right place for Mead? Are we on the right track? This is well, I'm also the type of person that goes, there's no good time to do things. There's no good time, no bad time. It's a matter of just marketing and pushing this out. I have, I have a passion for making me what it should be, um, and that's my opinion, obviously. Um, Mead has the opportunity to be a leading beverage in Australia. We have some of the best honey in the world. In fact, we make a lot of the honey in the world, right? If you could summarise... If you could bombard us with advice, we're complete rookies, right? Well, not complete rookies. We, we both have strengths in different areas. I'm the sales marketing guy. Josh is the brewing genius. What would you throw at these two young guns here trying to have a crack at this? Get to know your local people, your local industry. Get out there, meet everyone, meet the bottle shop, the bar, the bar owners, the, you know, the managers, meet the bottle shop owners, managers, all that sort of stuff. Um, also... Make sure you have the right, obviously, the skill, the skill set. So, you know, you're brewing, so make sure that you're, you're sanitising correctly. Make sure you're cleaning. It's, you know, learn. Go learn more. Everything about yeast. Learn everything about water. Learn everything, you know. You need to not assume that you're, you know, the, the, it's just going to be okay. It's not. Not all the time. You know, and take your measurements. Take take the record. You know, you know, like we, we sit here when we make a brew. You know, we have a brew sheet as you would in a brewery. We take notes. We take you know pHs. We take um, the bricks SG. We, we temperatures. You know, psi, all that sort of stuff. You know, you, you have to take notes. And if you're not doing that, then you, you're not doing it right. Um, <laughs> then you know, also get to know your suppliers. You, you know, it's very handy to, to have someone to bounce ideas off of. You know, this sort of thing, I, I love talking to people about brewing, mead making in particular, um, but I don't know much about wine making. Um, you know, I, I've taken what I need to from wine making to make our meads, um, and I'm still looking at things that are, that are specific to wine making to see if we can do some different products or do something better. Um, there's always one way to make it better. I'm never going to call myself a master brewer, ever, because you need to keep learning. You can't just go, I'm the best. It doesn't work like that. But going back to what I was saying, need to make sure that you're making, the product you're making and it's going out of market, out to market, that it is of a saleable quality. There's so much harm that can come to the industry from that in particular. Um, and it's not just me, it's, it, it could happen to, well, my memory, it could happen to all the meters. You're putting a product out, make sure it's right. Brilliant. So what's next for Erosion Metery? I have a long list. <laughs> <laughs> what's at the and, top? And the list grows by the day. Like we added more stuff to it yesterday. Um, and the probably more staff. <laughs> um, so we have the sales, sales coming in. And that's going to grow us, which then means we need to make more mead. So we look at brewing assistants and brewers. Um, specifically, that's some people that I'll be targeting. I wouldn't be targeting winemakers unless they've got brewing skills. Um, yep. Because at the end of the day, that's, I, I don't make that type of mead. I mean, we do, but we don't make it that way. Um, I still use Kavayak. I still use, you know, hops to make a mead that's 14%. So, so where do you see yourself in five years then? What does erosion media look like in five years? Sold out. No. <laughs> <laughs> you sold out. Sold to um, the big Working boys. for CUB, no. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly don't know where, like, I've got ideas where, where, where we can go. We've got, you know, every business plan has to have exit strategy. If you don't have an exit strategy, you don't have a business plan, you know. So there is an opportunity to sell. There, there is an opportunity to keep growing. There's opportunity to move, build a bigger facility, all of those, everything's on the table. You know, you know worst case scenario, I'll be back in IT. It's really yeah. nothing too, too bad. Best case scenario, you know, one of the big boys gives us the, uh, replies to one of the things where we say, this is how much you're going to pay for us. And they go, yeah, no problems. Yeah, yeah. That's best case scenario. Or, you know, 
we just have people running the metery and I've, <laughs> I, I do a sound killer journey and swan in, swan out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> like like dog fishes. No, yeah. um, no. <laughs> I, I'd still like to be hands on. Like, I'd still be brewing or, you know, managing. I, I, I love running the business. So it's, it's been an experience. Like I had a lot of learning experiences um, in starting running a business. I didn't think I'd have some of them. But I did. Um, so that's another thing. You know, if you've got it, if you need, if you think you've got any deficiencies in business knowledge and that sort of stuff, go learn it. I mean, I I didn't. I should have learned more. Um, but I'm the type of just jump in and go. Yeah. Yeah. Fix learn what I job. can fix on the way, and if I can't fix it, then apologize and keep going. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah. You've, you've done such a great job. You've really opened our eyes to what we're getting ourselves into. And I'm, I'm feeling super encouraged. Um, I also feel like I'm in some deep water because you really know your stuff. But um, I, I, I love that you've just... Uh. I'm learning every day. <laughs> yeah, that, but that's the also encouraging thing that you've just yeah. thrown yourself at it and it's working for you. And I think if you stay positive, you can you can do awesome things. So thank you so yeah. much. It's just, we really appreciate you taking this time. It's so valuable. Um, oh, thanks. It's, and- been, it's been fun. It's been fun being able to talk to people who <laughs> see my point of view of me. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, mate, you're the best. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. Use uh, nutrients. Sean. Use <laughs> yes. nutrients, yes. Thank yeah. you, Sean Johnson from Erosion Meadery, mate. You're the best. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the second episode of Making Ends Meet. We love hearing from our listeners, so if you have any questions, recommendations, or just want to send us some love, please shoot us a voice message by clicking the link in the show notes below. We would love to hear from you and feature you on the podcast. Coming up in our next episode, lockdown threatens to slow our progress. We are facing the greatest threat that we have faced in New South Wales since the pandemic started. And Josh and I chat with the hilarious Rohan from Moonshine Meadery, Asia's very first meadery then began our uh, first journey into bootlegging and which is why the name Moonshine. It was fun till my uh, dad found out and he's like, either you go legal or get out of the house. So we chose to go legal. If you can't get enough of this podcast, you can head to makingendsmead.com. Give us a follow on Instagram or more importantly, join our Making Ends Mead Inner Circle on Facebook. I'm Tim Engelbrecht and I'll catch you on the next episode of Making Ends Mead.